Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. This Stronger Than theme is something we're going to carry out. We're going to be moving into uh, in February, uh, Stronger Than for relationship and for marriages. And we're going to have a great uh, marriage and relationship series uh, that will be kicking off. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray and jump right into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to speak to us today. You are our God. You are our source. We're here today to hear your voice. Father, would you breathe your life into this room? Would you release your presence into this room? Fill us up. Everyone in the room and everyone listening online or listening on a podcast, Father, release your presence into their atmosphere right now in this exact moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, life's kind of hard. And for me, um, 2020, everything just, let me just put it like this. My bubble got popped in 2020. Um, My innocence, my faith in, in the goodness of different organizations and uh, different, uh, what I, I mean, I just don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know who to trust anymore. Can I be honest? I don't trust anyone but Jesus. Anything but my Bible. If you don't love Jesus, I'm looking, I might side-eye you at this point in time. Uh, I don't know what news, who to trust. I don't know what agency to trust. I don't know what party to trust. I don't think I can trust any of them. I don't know. It's been hard. It's frustrating. I feel lied to every time I turn around. And it's hard to keep myself in a place that God has called us to walk in with the type of faith that we're supposed to have, which is called childlike faith. Life is hard. It's challenging. We were, we were on an incredible trip. Uh, it was a trip of a lifetime. We had, I think, about... 25 or 30 of our Oaks Church families. We were in a, on a kind of a pilgrimage, a tour in Israel. We'll do that again at some point. But we were on that and the world closed down. And we were the last flight out of Israel. They closed the whole country down. We got back and then they closed our whole country down. And, and ever since then, it's been absolutely nuts. Everything's nuts. And it's easy to get jaded. And it's, and it's easy, we're looking at a world that's hard, and, and the economy is tough, and, and businesses are suffering. And Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. That was a promise. <laughs> we don't like some of Jesus' promises. In this world you will have trouble, but thank God he didn't stop there. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I heard a quote this year that stuck with me. I don't really know the author. I haven't done much research into him, and maybe I should, but his name is G. Michael Hoff. And he said it like this Hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men. 
and weak men create hard times. The hard times we're living in is because of weak men and women. Let's not, let's not stereotype. Let's not just blame it on the men, okay? Weak leadership. Weak leadership in the church. Pastors that won't talk about stuff. Pastors that are too afraid to speak the truth because they don't want their offerings to be affected. Listen, all y'all can leave. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor God. I love you. I love him more. And I may disappoint you, but he's the one that can send me to hell. So (laughs) I'm going to focus on him if that's okay. (laughs) Hard times. Um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about teenagers, and, and I preached uh, teenage, our youth service this week. I love our teenagers. We're going to invest in our teenagers. Uh, we, we're we're going to do amazing stuff with our youth and with our kids. We're investing heavily in our student ministries. Thank you for your generosity. When you guys are generous at Oaks Church, we're able to be incredibly generous uh, and, and invest into the different ministries that are for the, the team. We, so many of the teenagers that come to our youth services on Wednesday don't even come to our church yet. But that's one of the ways that families are introduced into and families get saved. It's when revival happens inside of a teenager's heart. It's an amazing thing. It's super important. But I'm passionate because my teenage years were really hard. In fact, seventh grade was the worst year of my young life. I I, I was grounded all of seventh grade, all of it. I didn't see the sun one time. Seventh grade, I don't know what it was. Puberty was bad for Joel. Puberty was really hard on Joel. I, I lost my mind. I don't know if you know this, but I, I read this in a study that when, a, when, a, when a, a teenager goes through puberty, there are more raging chemicals and hormones in their body than when a woman goes through menopause. So how about give a little bit of grace to your crazy teenager, right? That is, and I don't understand the other, but I certainly understand being a psycho teenager, and that I was for sure. But seventh grade, I'm telling you, I, was, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't do anything right. I, the second I'd get ungrounded, I'd mess up by the end of the day. I'm grounded again. And the only thing I was allowed to do was go to church, youth group, and my martial arts studio. And the reason I was allowed to keep going to the martial arts studio is because my dad had an agreement with my instructor And my instructor would give me what he called attitude adjustments. And so my dad would call my instructor and say, hey, Joel had a bad attitude today. You think you could help me out? And I'd come bebopping into the martial arts studio, 12 years old, feeling frisky. And my instructor would say, hey, buddy, how you doing? And I'm great. Good. How about you go put your pads on, meet me in the center of the mat? Huh? Well, what happened? Your dad called, says you need an attitude adjustment. And my instructor would beat the bejeebies out of me. It was a paid hit, paid child abuse. Paid child abuse. You wonder why I am the way I am. And 
my dad just like, hey, act right, you know, I don't want to tell you. But, but I would literally, my instructor would say, listen, here's how this is gonna go. You can either fight like a man, I'm 12, you're 24. This went on for literally for three, four, five years till I was 16. You can either fight like a man or, or, or you can be a wuss. I'm gonna beat you either way. But if you fight like a man, I'll get tired quicker and I'll beat you less. But if you don't fight back, I'll last longer and I'll beat you more. So why don't you be a man and take your licks like a man? Well, what happened is these perpetual beatings forged this 12-year-old into a vicious little honey badger that wasn't afraid of anybody in the ring that was my age or my size. I would murder middle schoolers. Put me in a tournament. You can't compare with this 24-year-old. I will rip your face off, right? But I remember walking in one day. Uh, seven, again, seventh grade was a bad year for me. Uh, do you remember seventh grade art class? Uh, they, they, they allowed you to use this thing, and it was a paper cutter, and it looked like a French murder device, like this guillotine thing for cutting paper, and you could just, and you could cut through stacks of paper, and it was one of those things, as a, as a middle school boy, it was the thing I wanted to take home to teach my little sister lessons with her Barbie dolls, right? That's what I thought it would be, you know, heads off, you know, a little French Revolution action, uh, but I, I, was <laughs> I was working through some paper for whatever project, and I got a little too close, and, and, and I caught that middle finger right on the, the edge of the nail, and it slipped off, and it caught just the tip of my finger and literally just flopped that little tip over. Well, like any soldier, just plopped that thing back on there and found some super glue, because that's what it was made for, field dressing. And I wrapped that thing up and didn't even get stitches, just glued it back on there, wrapped it up, and I had just a big old white ball of gauze on there. And as a seventh grader, if you have an injury on your middle finger, it's kind of fun. People ask you, what happened to your finger? Oh, you mean this one? And uh, so I got grounded again. Anyway, I show up at, uh, you, you don't, that joke didn't work on my parents as well as it did on other folks. But uh, I show up again at the martial arts studio, and I don't know if there was a phone call that preceded this moment or not. I don't know, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to ask because that might incriminate my parents. But I walk in, and I've got this giant thing on my finger, and my instructor says, hey, what happened? I share the whole story about cut my finger off. It's flopped over, glued it back on. I'm good. I'm not a wuss, man. I'm here. I'm ready to train the whole deal. He goes, wow, okay. Let me see it. So 12-year-old Joel goes like this. And 24-year-old Mr. Bell goes like this and squeezes the crud out of my finger. And I go, oh! and, I'm, and he, he lets go and I hold my finger and I look up at him. I mean, tears in my eyes. And he goes, pain builds character. And I look at my finger and I look at him and he goes, let me see it again. And I was in so much shock I did this, and he did this, and he squeezed it again, and now I'm full crying, and I'm bleeding, and I'm like, oh, and he says, pain builds character, and, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this information, and he says, let me see it again, and I said, no, sir, and he said, 
See, pain builds character. I still don't know what that means to this day, but apparently I'm not supposed to trust my friends or my mentors because they might stab me at the back. I keep my eye open. Was it some kind of, you know, the art of war, Sung Su type, you know, thing, you know, be a warrior and always watch. I don't know what this was about, but I can tell you, I never forgot it. And the truth of the matter is that pain builds character. Hard times make strong people. It's, it's, it's the worst moments of your life that taught you some of the most important lessons. The heartbreaks, the betrayals, the letdowns, the sicknesses, the deaths. It's tough, but it's true that temporary suffering is actually good for you. Temporary suffering, it's good for you. Pain builds character. We want our kids, think about this. Those of us that grew up in the 70s and 80s, we didn't even wear seatbelts. I remember being in the back seat of the car like this, <laughs> waving at the cops. No seat belts, no bike helmets, no, no, no uh, mesh around our trampolines. You just break your leg, rub some dirt on it. Now everybody is bubble wrapped, completely bubble wrapped. And, and, and we wonder why we have a whole generation. I got so many words. <laughs> I'm gonna call them a flower, just pansies. Little pansy flowers. Can't take the heat. Think everybody owes them something. They're entitled. They just wanna be little TikTok, Snapchat millionaires. Don't want to work a day in their life, just float around and travel for a living. And they look at someone that's worked 30, 40 years and has built some wealth and gets to enjoy their life. And they think they should deserve to have a life just like them and never have to work a single day. I want to slap the snot out of all of them. They need to suffer. It's good for them. It's good for them. My kids told them their whole lives, I'm not buying you a car, you buy your own car. So they get their allowance, spend it if you want, but I recommend you save it if you ever wanna have a car. I'll help you buy it, but you better save your money. So sure enough, did I buy your car? You bought your car. Our little one, Blake, she's convinced. She's getting this brand new Jeep Wrangler. Mm-mm, sucker. You better save your money. You might get a Jeep Wrangler. It'd be 1986. Save them pennies. Or get TikTok famous, make some money, travel the world. I don't know. Temporary suffering. Actually good for you. If you want to be world-class at anything... 
You're going to suffer. You want to be a world-class athlete? You will suffer. You want to be a world-class business person? You will suffer. You want to be a world-class musician or artist? You will suffer. You want to have a great marriage? You will suffer. You want to have godly kids? You're going to suffer. Why? Pain builds character. Suffering is actually good for you. As I was praying about this, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Joel, he goes, pain is always temporary. But what I produce in you is eternal. Look at this verse. This is James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or patience. Oh, we hate the word patience, don't we? Be patient. It's a four-letter word. Let perseverance or patience finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at how that verse opens. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. That word trials is also tribulations, hard times, COVID lockdowns, sickness, death, division, separation. We've watched our nation become unbelievably divided. Families that haven't even talked to other parts of their families since 2016 when someone got elected. Don't even say his name. Someone get offended. Everybody's offended. Oh, that's just, I'm just offended. Can I tell you offended is not cute. Offended comes from the Greek word scandalon. It means a scandal. If you get offended, you're actually trapped in a scandal. And it's not good. And you're the one that's trapped. And our world wants you angry and bitter and mad and blaming someone else and blaming some system and blaming some ancestor or blaming some something and making some other people group have to pay for something that they had nothing to do with and all kinds of stuff. And they want you mad and embittered and bittered and mad. And let me tell you something, it will rot your soul like a cancer and it will destroy your faith and you will not have the type of faith that pleases God if you live in bitterness and offense. It will rot you to the core. Rot you to the core. Guess what? Bad stuff happens. Guess what? Bad things go on. Guess what? There are bad people in the world. And yes, there are bad systems in place and all kinds of bad stuff happens. But if you're bitter and offended, that will rot you. One of my favorite stories in history is the story of George Washington Carver. Incredible scientist, uh, majored in agriculture, started out as a slave, wouldn't let him learn, couldn't go to school with the other kids, had to fight his entire life for any and every opportunity, had to sit outside of classrooms because they wouldn't let him go in finally, finally, finally had the opportunity to go in and get a real education, 
majored in agriculture, became a scientist, dedicated his entire life toward agricultural developments, was deeply devoted to his faith, deeply devoted to his God, made a decision that he would never be bitter, never live in a place of offense, asked God to give him, his, his secret to success was his, was his prayer life, asked God to give him and to unveil to him the secrets of the universe, and in his prayer life, God told him, your brain is too small for that. Ask me something smaller. So George Washington Carver said, okay, how about the peanut? This is his own story. Can you tell me everything there is to know about the peanut? And as the story goes, God in his laboratory would begin to reveal. George would go into his laboratory, no food, just water, and he would fast and pray in his scientific laboratory until God would give him an idea, and then he would work out the equations. And I can't remember the exact number, but literally thousands and thousands of uses for the peanut. He didn't invent peanut butter, but he perfected it, and I thank him for it in Jesus' name. I love peanut butter so much. Oh, my God, I love peanut butter. And honey, mm, forget jelly. It's about the honey. That's what it's all about. George Washington Carver had every single reason to be angry, offended, and bitter. But instead, he dedicated himself to making the world better. And his inventions so revolutionized the agricultural world that he is credited as the one for literally saving the South from complete and total bankruptcy and destruction because of his agricultural developments. The guy who should have been the angriest became the savior because he wouldn't be bitter. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when people treat you bad. Consider it pure joy when people leave you. Consider it pure joy when you're betrayed. Consider it pure joy when they cheat. Consider it pure joy when they wrong you. Consider it pure joy. Why? 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 God says, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you. Listen, we've all been through some tough stuff, and can I tell you, it's the hardest thing. This question I'm about to read to you, it's the hardest thing. How can a loving God allow so much suffering? Such a hard question. I don't know if, again, we have these tiny little finite brains, and we're dealing with an infinite God who has this thing that we can't even begin to comprehend called sovereignty. He knows all things. He has a purpose for all things. Things happen in the world because men are evil. Things happen in the world because things just happen. Things happen in the world because there's a real devil that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the only reason he exists. He hates God, and if you love God, he hates you. And humans are made in his image, so he hates humans. And he wants to destroy humans because he hates God. So evil things happen, horrible things happen. But God is still in control. And what's a real mind freak is the devil 
is actually a pawn. He's just a pawn that God allows to exist for an ultimate purpose that in the end, God wins. I, we'll never understand it. And we're not, we're not asked to understand it. We're asked to believe anyway. So what do we do with all this pain and suffering? I, um, man, I've been through some stuff in life and most of you know, if you've known me for any period of time, you know that the, the most horrific and hardest thing that I've been through in, in my life was the death of my daughter, O'Neal. She was 11 months old when we found a brain tumor. Um, it was absolutely the darkest day of our lives and it didn't stop there. It continued on for months and months and months. Uh, we had brain surgeries, we had radiation treatments, we had uh, chemotherapy. Uh, there was horrific, horrific suffering. It was, it was a horrible season. And for Jennifer and I and for our family, we held on to faith so strong in the midst of a season where the doctors told us from the very beginning, this tumor is 100% fatal. She has zero chance. Um, you need to prepare for the worst. And, and we just couldn't let ourselves. We, we believed we were gonna see a miracle and we were holding on for a miracle. And the reality was that there was no miracle coming for us the way that we wanted, the way that we wanted. Um, I remember in the midst of that, our pastor, Pastor Mike Hayes, a great man, would not be who I am. I would not be who I am without him. He said, people said crazy stuff. People, when you're going through crap, when you're going through stuff, pardon me, just keeping it real. I can get real if you want. Uh, when you're going through stuff, people will say crazy things because um, they don't know what to say. So they'll, so crazy, they'll say crazy things. And um, I'm so grateful for his wisdom in that moment. He's praying for us in front of the congregation. And he said this, he said, in his prayer time and over us, he said, this will be the making of Joel and Jennifer. This will be the making of Joel and Jennifer. And we didn't understand that and we were holding on for the miracle, but um, the miracle we wanted didn't come and, 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 she, and she died. And it was devastating for us, um, horrifically devastating for us. Um, I, I was uh, a pastor who no longer believed in the Bible. That's a challenge. Uh, some of the people that are in this room were in my youth group. You are a miracle. You had a pastor that didn't believe in the Bible for a while, and you made it through that. Wow. Uh, I, I, I literally, I was so devastated by this because I had lived my life. Um, I mean, I was a competitor, and I was a performer. Uh, I, I, my whole life was looking around, measuring everyone else, and going, I can beat them, and I can beat them. Okay, he's better than me. We'll just wait and see. I'll beat you next. All right, I'm coming for you. I beat everybody. That was my deal. I'm a competitor, and I'm coming for you, and I'll beat everybody. And I translated that into my faith, and I became a wonderful Pharisee. And so whenever I approached God, God owed me something. 
because look how much I fasted and look how much I prayed and look how much I sacrificed and look how much I tithe and look how much I give on top of my tithe and look how much I this and look how much I that and look, I don't do this and I don't do that and all these different things. And God, if you're gonna heal anybody's kid, it's my kid. I've given up everything for you. And when it didn't happen, I was so angry, so angry. And um, I literally was just like, look, forget it, forget it. All of the abstaining, forget it. All of the rule following, done. My pendulum swung so far over the other side. And, 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 and I mean, it's like, I am, I am now I'm no longer, li- I'm living a not good life. And it was almost like I'm trying to push God away because I was so mad at him. And what's incredible is that's where he met me. And that's where he embraced me. And that's where he showed me how much he loved me. And he brought me back to center. And in the midst of my prayers, and in the midst of my seeking him, I remember a conversation I had with him. And and I'm going to give you the number one habit I have. Joel has lots of stuff to work on. Joel has lots of rough edges that God is still uh, sanding up and shaving off. But I got, a, I, got a, I got a couple really, really, really good habits. Can I tell you my, my number one good habit? I repent fast. I mess up a lot. I repent fast. And, and, and I get right back into the presence of God. There was a season in my life where I would feel like God doesn't want to see me. So when I would mess up, then I would avoid God. Kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden, they go hide because they're naked. I'm like, God didn't want to see me. I'm embarrassed. Well, what I realized is when I was the most naked, when I was the most embarrassed, that's where he wanted to see me the most. Isn't it funny? When your kids are the most in trouble, that's when you, that you, want, to, you want their attention. You want, you want, you're not leaving your kids alone when they, need, when they need you the most, right? And he's a better father. So I repent fast, I get right back in his presence. So time in his word and time in prayer. And for me specifically, I journal my prayers. I, I write my prayers, and this is why. I create a documented journey of where I go spiritually. And I can go back, I literally have more than two decades worth of documentation of my conversations with God, what he's taught me, what he's shown me, and I can go back and trace my journey. It's unbelievable to go back and watch how he's taught me and led me and shaped me and all these different things. And the number one most important thing that I learned is how to hear his voice and how to document his voice. And can I tell you this, that it was regular dudes that had that discipline that gave you a Bible. You would not have a Bible if it wasn't for regular humans, regular people who had a discipline to get in the presence of God and write down their experience. The, it's the greatest discipline of my life. I hope, you, I hope you pick it up. It'll change your life forever. But in my journal, I remember writing this. I remember writing, God, I, I, 
I don't know if I believe your Bible anymore. There's a whole lot of promises in there that don't seem like they're true. In fact, the only thing that I feel like I believe anymore is I, I know that you're real. I've had too many experiences. I know you're real. And somehow, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, I know that you're still good. Somehow you're still good. And this is what his response was to me. Finally, that's the faith I've been looking for. Did you know that for thousands and thousands of years, followers and believers in God did not have a Bible? Did you know that? No Bible. No Bible to believe in. The only thing they had was an encounter with the living God that they couldn't shake in a, in a steadfast belief that he's good. I experienced him, I know he's real. And somehow, even though I'm walking through all of this, I know he's good. They had stories passed down from generation to generation. No Bible for thousands of years. We're so gifted, we're so blessed to actually have a Bible. A Christian that doesn't read their Bible, you take so much for granted. Super important to read it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people died for you to have that. Very important you read it. But I can tell you, this is the verse he took me to. Hebrews chapter eleven six, And without faith... It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Did you see that? The two things God's looking for. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder. He's good. That's what he's looking for. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be some kind of a deep, you know, revelatory whatever. You gotta believe that he's good or believe that he is and believe that he's good. And, and then to please, in the, that, that faith to please him, the way that it resonates into the world is you just love. That's it. One law that we follow is the law of love. So I want to give you just a couple of quick things as we wrap this up. Um, and this is where you're going to see how good I am at math. I, I wrote in my notes four steps of faith development, but then I actually have five steps. So you can see why I became a preacher and not a scientist. <laughs> Number one step, accept that God is sovereign. He knows something you don't know. The stuff you're going through, the stuff you're enduring, he knows something you don't know. He's sovereign. Number two, refuse to be offended. Refuse to be offended. Jesus said this, John the Baptist was in prison on death row. John the Baptist was upset at Jesus because Jesus was the Messiah and the Messiah was supposed to set the captive free and release those from prison. And his own cousin is in prison on death row. And John is in such a faith crisis, he sends his own disciples to Jesus asking, are you really the Messiah or not? 
Hey, Jesus, your cousin wants to know. The guy who told everyone you're the Messiah. The guy that said that, you, that, that you're not, he's not even worthy to untie your sandals. The guy that said you're the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He wants to know, are you really the Messiah or not? It's a faith crisis. John's having a bad day in prison. Jesus' response is this. You tell John what you see here today. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the, 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 the lame walk, the, 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 the lepers are cleansed. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. What does that mean? It means I'm not coming to get you out, John, but it doesn't mean I'm not good. You have a different road to walk, John. You're gonna suffer. You're gonna die. Three days from now, your head's coming off your body and it's gonna be on a plate because there's a wicked king with a wicked wife and a wicked daughter and that's what their ask is gonna be. But I'm still good. And I'm still God. And I'm still the Messiah. And if you just won't be offended, you'll be blessed. Don't be offended. Don't live a life of bitterness. Number three, no matter what you go through, trust anyway. Trust anyway. Do not allow yourself to become a person who can't trust. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But you got to trust anyway. Childlike faith. Number four, submit to the process. God has a process for you to walk out. Pain and suffering are a part of it. Trial and tribulation are a part of it. You're gonna walk through stuff. Submit to the process. Allow them to shape you. Allow them to teach you. Allow them to grow you. And number five, the bonus one that I didn't know I counted and added in. Seek God's face, not his hand. Seek his face to know him, not his hand for what you can get. I learned that from one of my mentors, Bill Cornelius. Seek his face, not his hand. I wanna give you a challenge this today to just go on a little journey with me. I talked about reading the word of God. Um, What's the beginning of the year? This is just a little impromptu challenge. Uh, I just wanna see how many people will do it with me. When I dedicated myself to the Lord for the very first time and, and made a decision to be a man of God, I was 17. And... Um, I looked across the, the breakfast table and saw my dad. Uh, and my dad was reading his Bible every morning. Cup of coffee, Bible wide open. Hey, Joel, let me, let me show you this verse. My dad, an unbelievable godly man, one of the greatest godly examples ever in my life. And uh, I, remember the, I remember as a teenager when, when, when God saved me, and I remember looking across the breakfast table and seeing my dad. And for the first time since I lost my innocence as a child, for the first time, I look across the table and I saw my dad and I saw how godly he was. 17-year-old young man, I said, I wanna be a godly man just like that. And so I said, what does he do? Every single day, he's in his word. Every single day, he reads the Bible. Every single day. And my dad loved Psalms and Proverbs. And, and, and so I did this thing. I said, okay, well, I'm just gonna read a proverb a day. 31 days, 31 Proverbs. In the, in the, in the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters proverb a day. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna start that. I've done it a gajillion times, but I haven't done it in a few years. And I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna start today. Today's the 15th. I'm gonna start with the 15th proverb. You can start wherever you want. Uh, but it's easier for me to remember because you already saw how well I do math. So I'm just gonna stick with whatever day it is. And when February starts, I'll go back to the first proverb and we'll, we'll stay on track that way. But I would just wonder how many of you just every single day, starting today, just sometime this afternoon, crack your Bible, read Proverbs 15 or start wherever you wanna do, but just every single day for the next 31 days, just get in the Word, make it a habit, get in the Word. It'll take you a couple minutes, literally a couple minutes. And here's all I'm gonna ask you to do besides go on this journey with me. I'm gonna ask you to find that there will be 15 or 20 little wisdom statements. I want you to find the one that's yours. It's yours. And I want you to write it down, put it in your phone, text it out to somebody, and I want you to think about it throughout the day, and I want you to pray it over your life. It's one of the greatest things you can learn to do is pray God's word over your life. Put yourself in the verse. Change your life. How many of you would do that with me? Next 31 days. Jump in the word. Come on, let's do that together. Proverbs, Proverbs a day, maybe it keeps the devil away. I don't know. We'll give it a whirl though, huh? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these awesome men and women of God that are in the house of God today. Father, we are stronger than anything the enemy can send our way. Father, if there's anybody in this room that needs to give themselves to you, needs to come back to you right now, draw them to you in the name of Jesus. And if that's you, wherever you are, maybe listening on, uh, on, a, on a podcast or watching online or sitting in this room right now, if that's you, wherever you are in this room, all across the room, we're gonna pray this prayer. Just say this, say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I'm not ashamed. I don't wanna live anymore for myself. You're my Lord, you're my Savior. I live for you. 2023, it's my year. I'm stronger than anything the enemy can throw my way. In Jesus' name, I'm saved. Amen, God bless you. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.